0: Hello there, writers and book lovers. If you enjoy listening to the show and want to help me keep creating awesome content, I have a Patreon page where you can support the podcast and get exclusive access to ad free episodes, live chats, and the Discord server. By becoming a patron, you'll be helping me cover the costs of producing the show and making it even better. So if you can, please head over to the Patreon page and join the community of Right and Wrong fans who are helping to take the show to the next level. Thank you for listening and for your support. Let's get back to it. So, our podcast is called Right and Wrong. are these your notes? These, <laughs> Are these your notes about what we're going to say? Uh, Anything Just a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my prior? God, so many. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect. What's she talking about? This is nonsense. a... Difference. Ooh, a
1: spicy question. I love it.
0: <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. <laughs> <laughs> you had it here first. We're going to do it. Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. On today's episode, I am very excited to be joined by a best-selling author whose brand new novel, The Dog of the North, has just been longlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction. It's Elizabeth McKenzie. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having
0: me. Thanks so much for coming on. Let's start off with um, what is the the very current and exciting thing that's happening? The Dog of the North, your brand new novel just, it's been out for just over a week now. Um, how, how, why don't you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Sure. Um, it's about a a woman in her thirties named Penny who has, uh, recently left a failed marriage and she has set out to take care of some family members that are having calamities of their own. And she basically falls into a series of misadventures as she sort of moves forward with her life. Um, The whole book takes place just a few weeks. um, So it's very tightly focused on her sort of moment to moment life during those weeks and and every little mishap that befalls her.
0: And very excited to be long-listed for the Women's Prize for Fiction. How's that feel?
1: But oh, feels great. I mean, I feel so um I I mean I'm just amazed just to be nominated and you know my last book also was nominated and yeah, it's a wonderful
0: uh prize and
1: yeah, it's terrific.
0: Your last book was the Portable Veblen. That's right. Um which was a bestseller. And as you mentioned that one even made the shortlist back in 2016, it did. Right? Yeah,
1: I got to come to London and it was very <laughs> exciting.
0: Yeah. Does um does it add a sort, a certain sort of pressure that kind of critical acclaim to your, to you know the the next things that you write?
1: I think it, it does. I mean, there's like this, there's this lovely um, temporary feeling of you know elation, and you know, uh, I think that it, um, you know, it does make you feel like the stakes have been raised, and mm. that what you have to write next has to be important to live up to that. But then in the end, basically, you go back to being yourself um in your office in your pajamas and <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it's easy to remember that you're human again when you're sitting in your pajamas in your office exactly <laughs> so this will be is this the third or the fourth book you've your novel you've published
1: it's my third novel my first book was a actually a collection of stories so right. my fourth book, okay yeah.
0: so you've kind of you're in the sort of launch period now um do they feel different now that you've done this sort of three four times does it feel different the kind of launch period that the way that the sort of promo and hype is generated for each one
1: yeah i mean i think i'm i'm more i know what to expect and i still find it shocking that you know people want to talk to me about the book or you know (laughs) that I have to talk about myself or my process and that comes doesn't come naturally to me because I I, it takes me a while to work up to the point of the launch I have to really I don't examine it while I'm writing you know Mm -hmm. what I'm doing so much and then I look back and and sort of piece together what happened during the process
0: right okay so it's it's a little bit outside of your comfort zone doing lots of promotion and, and stuff like this I guess
1: Well, I, again, I've gotten used to it and I enjoy it, but, um, it, it just, it, it surprised me how much that had to be done when I first entered publish, you know, first published a book.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense because I think, and a lot of writing as an activity does seem like a sort of, uh, in many ways, a solitary thing. It's a very personal thing. As you say, you, you're sitting at your desk by yourself. So having to then go and like speak to lots of people and share. Share it with lots of people whilst exciting, also quite sort of daunting at the same time. I understand. Exactly. It's true. Yeah. Like when you ask uh, authors will talk about, well, authors, writers, and and like readers will talk about books, other people's books, literally endlessly. And, you know, as soon as you ask them about the book that they're writing, they'll freeze up and and (laughs) not know what to say.
1: (laughs) Yes. I can relate to that, certainly.
0: (laughs) So, dialing it back even further from your previous kind of experiences with publishing books when how old were you when you first sort of started writing when you first sort of got um, a, 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 the sort of bug for writing
1: I think I've always had it because I remember writing li- limericks and poems that were you know humorous when I was <laughs> a child um, went into journalism in high school worked on the paper had a column mm-hmm. um, in college I was writing poetry, I was really enamored of the beat poets, you know, Ginsberg yeah. Ginsburg and Ferlinghetti and so on. And, um, and then switched to fiction, I think, maybe perhaps senior year. Um, I took a class where they assigned each person in the class a book they thought would be useful uh, for that particular person. And they assigned me Henderson, the Rain King by Saul Bellow. And I was just, you know, I was, delighted by the book. It, I was, you know, the effervescence of his voice, his vocabulary, the music in the prose. So, um, I, that became my goal to write a novel after that.
0: Okay. So you've kind of been on this path for a long time now.
1: I have, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, great. It's, 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 yeah. it's great to
0: kind of have direction from such a early stage in your life and kind of know where you're yeah. heading.
1: That's what. That's all I ever wanted to do. I mean, I did think about other things sort of in a fantastical way. I wanted to be a spy or, you know, okay. things like that. But, <laughs> but yeah, this was all I ever... I mean, it was the only thing I ever thought I was any halfway decent at, you know,
0: so... Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> the beauty of being an author is that you can live your spy fantasy in yes. your own novels. <laughs> yes, exactly. So at what point... Um, this is sort of so so after was it the first time you sort of wrote uh, a novel or or collected stories was that sort of after college
1: yes um, I think well I was at, at, it wasn't immediately after I worked in publishing um, in the years after I mm-hmm. left college I, I was trying to write during that time um, writing short stories and so forth but um, my I don't know my it took me a while to you know achieve uh, the style that I was after and yeah. be able to carry a story forward. I I tried writing I think what really helped me over the bump from stories to novels was having a screenwriting partner in LA and we wrote a number of scripts together. And uh that helped me ex you know learn how to extend a story and and sort of the rising action and falling action of a story um became sort of internalized at that point.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Have yeah. You, so did you write sort of screenplays together?
1: Yes. Yes, we did.
0: Oh, that's, I've, yeah. I've looked into that. It's a very different discipline from writing prose, like a novel. Very
1: different. Yeah. But something about the structure helped me write my first novel, you know, cause ah. I've, I've conceived of it. It was McGregor tells the world and I conceived of it in three acts, the way you do with a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And, um, but in the, novel it's three months it's represented by three months and um so yeah but of course all the the prose and the and the texture of the prose is very different
0: and did so that was your first novel that was published
1: uh, yes, it was. The world. yes
0: and was so with that the novel that was the novel that you was that when you first started submitting to agents and publishers and things
1: yes i did in fact um it actually made the rounds through publishers with a different title. Um, It was, I was in my early thirties and um, I was thrilled to have gotten an agent and um, she was unable to sell it in that version. So um, I went back, you know, I gave up on that one and wrote another novel. It also did not get anywhere. Um, and then I rewrote McGregor tells the world and, you know, finally, maybe 10 years later it, it was published. So it was a long road.
0: Yeah. I mean, publishing is definitely a marathon and not a sprint, I think. Yes. Yeah, yes. For, for a lot of the time. That's so interesting that you came back to it though and decided to rewrite it. Was that after sort of lots of discussion between you and your agent?
1: Um. It- in a way, I mean, I at that point I had a different agent. Oh, I see. Um, okay, and I, uh, but I, you know, some time had gone by, and I could see things about the novel that I wasn't satisfied with, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know, and I changed it from first person to third person, and it just the voice kind of matured, and um, it became a better novel. So
0: that's a big change. Yeah. Going from first to third. Yeah. That, that must have taken a lot of editing back and forth.
1: It did, yeah. It, I mean, it, it it took me longer than anything else I've ever written, so <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah.
0: But in your books, you do—I um, I don't know whether it's deliberate or not—but there is definitely a sort of uh, many years spaced out between your your books. You're not the sort of author that's putting out a new book every year or or even every every two years. How long do you tend to work on a draft? before um, you sort of start sharing it with maybe your agent or your editors?
1: Oh, that's a good question. It really depends on the book. I mean, with The Portable Veblen, uh, I was sharing it with the agent I had at the time over the course of several years because that book took me about seven years to write. It involved a lot of research
0: yeah,
1: um, and sort of synthesizing and distilling that research. So it, it became part of me before I could really write about it. Um and you know, I was getting feedback from her, but essentially she that agent didn't care for the book. So ah. uh I I switched agents and mm-hmm. um found one that did like it. And and then it was, you know, very smooth sailing at that point with her. with the new book with The Dog of the North, uh, I wrote it very quickly, just in a little over a year. So Oh wow. There wasn't that much conferring to do. It just kind of I was just basically done by the time I was ready to show it.
0: Oh, okay. And was it something that you had been thinking about for a long time? Or was it really just a sort of spontaneous thing where you just suddenly knew what the story was going to be and you just got it down?
1: I had sketched out some scenes involving some of the characters again in a in told with a different voice, third person. Mm-hmm. And um, I hadn't figured out a way to strand them together. And at what you know, shortly after the pandemic began, when I was home all the time, um, I just got on track one day by starting it in first person and putting Patty on the train in the opening scene. And from then on it just it went. So
0: Okay. So you just you, it was about sort of once you find that rhythm, you yeah. you can just go and you can and just And the voice. Yes. Okay. So uh, are you have you got a new idea in the works? Are you, are you thinking about a new story?
1: I am in the same situation again where I don't know what it is yet. I just have notes and different okay. little bits and pieces. So but I love I love the process of stewing over them and trying to figure out how they connect.
0: <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> like a puzzle and you don't yes, have all the pieces yet, but the pieces exactly. are slowly appearing. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. So do you think you're, do you think you're more of a planner than, than a discovery writer?
1: Not exactly. Because <laughs> even though I had those pieces for the dog of the North, yeah. they were just, they were just character sketches basically. So okay. it was uh, the character of Bert Lampy, the accountant
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: grandmother. And, but I didn't know what they were going to do or what was going to happen until I started. And I only had the vaguest sense of where the novel was going. I, I sensed what note I wanted it to end on and sort of the tone, but not how.
0: Okay, so it does sound, it's much more discovery writing then. You sort yes. of have, you figure out the characters, you figure out, you figure out a sort of vague direction, and then you let it just kind of take you.
1: Yes. I, I don't really like using an outline at all because that sort of deflates the pleasure for me in, in the discovery process. So
0: yeah, I have a friend of mine who has exactly the same thing. She tried, she, she's always been a discovery writer and she tried to, to write off a plan and she just got bored. She got very bored writing it because for her, the, the excitement is in discovering for, even for her, like what's going to happen next in the story.
1: Yeah, I, I depend on my unconscious so much. I mean, so he's my best <laughs> friend because I. it just knows, it seems to, I, it just amazes me that it can make connections that I can't
0: mm-hmm. consciously, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And do you have, um, you've been doing, you know, you've been writing for a very, very long time now. So yes. do you have any like rituals or like, uh, do, do you like a specific setting or like uh, a certain drink? her company writing
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i have a little tiny office in my house that's totally full of papers and books it's (laughs) but i feel very comfortable in here and uh you know i have to have my coffee and yeah that's about it yeah
0: okay so it's not nothing too complicated you just need your your safe space and your coffee yeah yes
1: (laughs) Yeah, there was a period of time. I, and I think one reason I was a really slow starter with um, my writing career, even though I was trying, was that my life was in a lot of chaos for some time. Mm. Um, I was like working part time as a truck driver,
0: actually. Oh, okay.
1: And uh, it just I couldn't I couldn't concentrate, even though you know the urge was within me to write during that time. But you know, having a more a, a more ordinary stationary life has been good for me. So
0: right, yes. Uh, sort of making it part of a routine, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. And outside of your your writing, you um American thinking you also work as a as a as an editor for, for a few different um organizations.
1: Yes. Um uh, there's I've been with the Chicago Quarterly Review the longest, um twenty years now. And Yeah, I got my editorial training at the Atlantic Monthly in Boston. I was the assistant to the fiction editor there. Um, And um, then more recently in Santa Cruz, where I live, a a literary magazine, a beautiful literary magazine started 10 years ago called Catamaran, um, founded by Catherine Segerson, and I'm the managing editor of that. So, yeah, my my days are filled with uh, usually writing in the morning and editorial work in the afternoon
0: has that have you always done editorial is that Anna, you said you you were you did some work when even when you were at high school you were with the newspaper yes. and then all throughout there have you always kind of done that kind of stuff
1: yeah that that's my my alternate life is as is as an editor which yes exactly started in high school actually it started in elementary school we had a little
0: oh vaccine, so. <laughs> Okay, you've really been on this a long you've been on this path a long time.
1: I know, <laughs> I know.
0: That's great uh, though. Do you think um would you ever be interested in moving into uh editorial for like novels and long form writing?
1: I I I mean, yeah, I you know, from time to time I I help people with their work, you know, and people send me novels to Mm -hmm. edit um, freelance. So I already kind of do that.
0: Oh, okay. But
1: I think, you know, it. I know writers who've gone into um, publishing and, you know, been editors for, you know, for literary fiction and major publishers. And it's very consuming. And they end up not being able to do their own work. So...
0: Yes. I think it's difficult there. I mean, there are people that do both. Um, but I think it is, it is very difficult because especially with editorial, well, I know in the UK, it's, it's a very, um, full-time, perhaps more than full-time job for the editors that I've met anyway.
1: Yeah. Well, my first, my editor for the Portable Veblen in the States was, um, a writer named Ed Park. And he, um, he had to finish a novel he was working on and left Penguin at that point, shortly after that book came out. And I understand why it's coming out now um, this fall. It's called Same Bed, Different Dreams. And it's just a brilliant novel that he's been working on since then. So, I, you know, I'm, gl- I'm glad that he chose that path. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I get it. And you can see why. Um, I think it happens a lot more that people who work in publishing then uh, start sort of doing their own writing and take a step back from their publishing life versus, um, people who, who are, who start writing and then go into publishing. I think it's more rare that way around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The work at the literary magazines is a little more cyclical. So there's Mm -hmm. periods of time where it's not as active as others. And so it just fits well with the, with the writing life.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's great. It's great. Yeah. And also great that you found like a, you found a nice balance yeah. to, to fit it all in together.
1: Oh, I learned so much from it. I mean, I just love being in the thick of what people are doing um, right now, you know, seeing the work of young people um, that comes in from grad programs and so forth. And yeah, there. You just, I just, I think it's a wonderful training too, to when you're first starting out to be reading manuscripts, because, you know, you, you, we, we see things that are published all the time. We don't see the things that are sort of almost there, but not quite. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. It's easy to forget from the outside looking in how many drafts and how many like rewrites go into the, the finished products. Like they're never, they're never re- like first drafts that you're seeing coming into yes. the world.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's, it's good to remember that, especially for aspiring writers where it's like, Oh, I don't have to write it perfectly first time over. <laughs> right.
1: Right. You can see common fitfalls and stuff. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. 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 And I've always thought that the, um, some of the kind of best ways to learn and also kind of see your own mistakes is to, um, find your, you know, find a group of, um, friends who, who are writers. And when you do critique for other people, you, uh, I often found that I would see things, and reading someone else's manuscript highlight something, and then realize that I also did a similar thing, and then go oh. back into my own work and be like, "Oh, yeah, I did that, and I hadn't seen it before."
1: Very much so. Yeah, I'm in actually in two writing groups, so I can't get enough of that. Obviously, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's great. But it's a very healthy way to, I think, to to hone your own craft is to yeah. help um, other people kind of critique theirs. Yes. And what advice would you give to uh, to, to writers who are looking to um, get their foot in the publishing door and get their work out into the world?
1: Well, I would say that, you know, it, it's good not to be too discouraged by rejections because it's probably inevitable that there are going to be some, if not many. Um, I think that if you're really sure that you're, you've got something that has been, you know, seen by trusted readers, uh, you've been told it's working, it's good, there's something there, you've done as much to it as you can, then to stick with it
0: and, um,
1: and just not lose heart.
0: Yes. Perseverance. Yeah. It's a tricky industry. It's also a very slow industry. So yes. you, you do have to just stick with it at a certain point. Yes. And before we get to the final question, I do just want to quickly say I have a copy of the dog of the North right here and I am obsessed with the cover. It is so <laughs> pretty. I like yeah. when it arrived, I was just like, Oh my God, this is one of my favorite like covers of the year.
1: Uh, it is. It's delightful. Yeah. I love it too.
0: And I've got the UK one, of yes. course. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. But they, they're, they're quite similar. Um, A lot of time you'll see a book in the UK and the US, have a wildly different cover, but the the energy I think is is similar. You've still got I the agree. van and and all that bits and bobs,
1: exactly.
0: But uh, absolutely beautiful. Um, let's get to the final question, which, as always, is Elizabeth. If you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you take?
1: Oh my gosh! <laughs> what, <could laughs> what a I response! Say
0: to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs>
1: I I I kind of feel like I would bring two, uh, mm-hmm. but if if I really can only have one, I would say Anna Karenina. Okay, because I think it has everything you need to know about life in it.
0: Yeah. Um, uh,
1: if I had it, if I somehow managed to bring two, if you two, could smuggle
0: I, a second one in,
1: I might bring <laughs> The Unconsoled by Kazuo Ishiguro. Okay. Uh, it, I feel like I could stay lost in its chambers, like in an Escher painting, forever. So Mm. it would distract me from my
0: loneliness. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, so, but, but if you had to pick one, it would be Hannah Karenina. Yes, I think so. Okay. Great choices. Very, very thinking choices. (laughs) Deep books you've gone for there, (laughs) but great choices nonetheless. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming on the podcast and uh, talking about your, your new book and your, your experiences with, with writing and, and publishing. It's been really great chatting with you and meeting you.
1: Oh, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with what Elizabeth is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at ELMcKenzie1, uh, or you can head over to her website, stopthatgirl.com. The Dog of the North, her new long-listed uh, book is is out now you can go and get it it has a beautiful cover in both the us and the uk uh, and to make sure that you don't miss an episode of this podcast follow along on twitter instagram tiktok and facebook check out the right and wrong patreon page for more from this podcast and for more bookish chats you can check out my other show the chosen ones and other tropes thanks again to elizabeth and thanks to everyone listening we'll catch you on the next episode